0: Hi, this is the Corner Piece Podcast. And today's mystery is Amelia Earhart. I'm Molly. I'm May.
1: I'm Todd. And I'm Katie. I'm going to take you back today to 1937. In 1937, a loaf of bread cost nine cents. Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs debuted in theaters. And a now famous woman named Amelia Earhart fell out of the sky in a plane called the Canary and was never seen again.
2: Amelia was adventurous as a kid. She collected insects from a trip with her sister Pidge. I don't know anyone that would collect insects and put them in mason jars. (laughs) Another reason that she's very adventurous is she built a roller coaster, or what she and Pidge called a roller coaster, inspired from what she saw in Missouri. She climbed on the top of their family shed. She put a wooden box on it and slid down a ramp. She came out of the wooden box and exclaimed, Oh, Pidge, it's just
3: like flying. If you and Molly got in a box on top of our shed and crashed to the ground, I would I would be a bit concerned. So another key point of Amelia growing up, she and her dad, uh, they went to an airfield in Long Beach, California, December of 1920, and they hired a plane for a, a short 10-minute ride, kind of like a thrill ride. And according to a quote from Amelia about... 30 seconds into that flight, she just apparently fell in love with flying, and she knew that that was what she wanted to do. And she decided that that's what she's going to dedicate her life to, literally within like a minute or two of this flight. And so after that, she eventually became a photographer, a truck driver, a stenographer, all of those basically to pay get the money to get her pilot's license.
0: She had her first lesson on the 3rd of January, 1921, near Long Beach, which is in California. When she got there, she said, I want to fly. Will you teach me? In order to take her lessons, she had to work really hard to get the money. She had to take a bus to the end of the line, then walk four miles. The finished. After she finished her lessons, she became the 16th woman to have an international pilot's license. She loved flying and sense of adventure in the air. She became the first woman to fly nonstop across the northern American continent and back, and the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean.
1: One thing that I think is so cool about Amelia is in addition to all the awesome things she did sort of solo in the air, and she did a lot of flights solo, and she did a lot of um, things solo, is that she always kind of kept in mind the other people that were alongside her and also trying to get their pilot's license, particularly women. So in researching this, I learned about this organization that she was kind of instrumental in the formation of. It's called the 99s. And it's the International Organization of Women Pilots. Um, And they're just, again, called the 99s for short. But basically, they do sort of networking and mentoring to help pilots, particularly female pilots, help each other. And that exists today. So as of uh, 2018, which I think is the last count, there are 155 99 chapters across the entire world, including a virtual chapter of Ambassador 99s. Um, so I think kind of her, her life was marked by interesting firsts that she did, but then also reaching back and helping other people achieve the same status and goals that she had. The reason
2: we're here today is we're going to talk about what happened on June 1st. Amelia tried to be the first woman to do an around-the-world fight. Fred Noonan and Amelia, Fred Noonan is her navigator, took off in Florida. They planned an equilateral equatorial route, which means they were going to fly around the equator, which is a really, really long trip.
3: That's right, Mason. Nice job. So, here are some of the key dates, and here, here's the kind of the flyover of the flyover. So they left Miami June 1st, and they basically they headed east. They went to s- well south at first, South America, to Africa, to the Indian subcontinent. And they landed in New Guinea on June 29th. So it basically took them one month to get from Miami to New Guinea. If we went today, you know, that's a one-day flight. So back then, a month with all the stops. So uh, the next leg of the trip was to start and did start July 2nd. She was going to go from New Guinea to Howland Island. So Howland Island was 2,500 miles away, which is a long flight even for today. And she's looking for this island that is about one mile long, quarter mile wide, and is between five and 10 feet above sea level. So it's just this speck of an island. So she took off at midnight. Um, She was in touch with a Coast Guard ship called the, I'm not sure if it's pronounced, Itasca or Itasca that was helping navigate with her. They talked intermittently on the radio. Apparently the communication that day was pretty spotty. Um, at 6.14 a.m. that day, the last uh, one of the last recordings that they have of it, or actually it's probably not a recording, it's uh, recorded um, with a typewriter, one of the last calls from Amelia said that she's about 200 miles west of Howland. So 6 in the morning, she says she's 200 miles west of Howland. Two and a half hours later, 8.43 a.m., apparently she can't find where she needs to go is is what a lot of the people are speculating. And she said, we are on the line 157-337, which basically means that people believe that she was heading southeast at that time. So that was really the last time that she was heard from was 8.43 a.m. on July 2nd. So, you know, that's kind of the, the big story of her life, from jumping off the shed to trying to fly around the world, flying over the Atlantic, the U.S., and, and I agree, Katie, that she was a trailblazer in a lot of ways, both flying but also for, for women and, and pioneers in general.
1: It's interesting to me how qualities you have when you're a kid sort of can sort of dictate what you want to do when you grow up. So if you're someone that, like, loves playing school when you're little, um, some of my teacher friends always talk about how they loved playing school when they were little, and then they grew up to do stuff like that. I think what's interesting about Amelia's story is she kind of was a daredevil from the start, right? So she didn't necessar- wasn't necessarily going to end up as a pilot, but certainly if she's jumping off sheds in her backyard with her sister um, when she's little, she's not going to do a career that kind of has her at a desk and doing the same things day after day. So I think that's kind of cool. Do you guys know anyone who you can kind of tell? Are there any friends of yours that you're like, I think that person's going to become this because they're really into a certain thing?
2: Uh, yeah, um, some people I know like playing school or like doing certain sports, and maybe they will be like that when they grow up.
1: Yeah, and I think the thing, the reason why Amelia Earhart is kind of a story that persists is that she was a trailblazer in so many ways, and people kind of um, followed her life. And so it was kind of like the whole community by the end was probably rooting her on. I mean, we sometimes go watch the Boston Marathon, right, and you sort of root on all the people. But imagine if you knew a runner from a really young age and you saw them become the first runner to do this and the first woman to do this. You get really sort of inspired by them. So I think a lot of people are inspired by her whole life and hopefully aren't just defined by kind of the, the last thing that happened to her. And it's
0: also a cool mystery because there's no, like,
1: real thing that happened to her. There's only theories. Exactly. It's one of those unsolved mysteries that we don't have, that we don't know the answer to. So Molly, do you want to tell us a little bit about, we've picked a couple theories. There's so many theories to share with you. Um, We've just picked a couple that either we thought were interesting or um, we thought maybe were less commonly known. But Molly's going to tell you about the first, which is kind of the most common one. Theory one.
0: Amelia Earhart ran out of fool ...fuel and crashed in the Pacific Ocean. This is one of the most common theories of the pilot's disappearance. And so many people believe it that she was actually declared dead... ...on the 5th of January, 1937. Many people believe Amelia Earhart and her navigator, Fred Noonan... ...got slightly off course on the way to Howland Island in the Pacific Ocean to get fuel for their plane called the Canary. Earhart radioed the U.S. Coast Guard ship's stations in the area, reporting that neither she nor Fred could spot the small island where they were supposed to land. According to this theory, the plane eventually ran out of gas and sunk in the Pacific Ocean. That would mean they would be in the middle of the ocean with no food, and they would die they would leave no
1: signs of their whereabouts. That might explain why she, you know, has never been found and there's never been a trace.
3: I mean, th- that does, I guess to me, that theory is the most rational. Um, I mean, the, the Pacific Ocean, when you're flying over it, you just you realize how immense it is. It is huge, 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 like planet big. So, yeah, uh, th- that logically that makes sense to me. I have to say emotionally, that one's kind of... Mm.
1: Yeah, what's that Oxum's razor? What's that theory, right? The simplest
3: explanation probably is the most likely explanation.
1: Right, which I think is true in this case, but it's also the least interesting
3: explanation.
1: I um, I would think that
2: maybe wa- some of her stuff would wash up to sh- some shores because, say, she had some extra, I don't know, a photo. It would probably... Either sink or it would wash up to some island, and you can put something in the ocean because you see a lot of like seaweed and crabs and jellyfish washed up on shore. So they're probably in the middle of the ocean. So maybe some of her stuff would have washed up to shore.
3: That theory happened. Yeah, that, that's a great point, May. One thing that I think is interesting is that they still haven't found the plane. Now I get it that it's hard to uh, hard to find a small plane in the Pacific. But that's one thing that I think makes this overall uh, mystery very interesting.
1: Because a plane too washing up on an ocean would be so noticeable, May. right? Like you named all the things that people would be kind of used to seeing on a beach. But if like a wing of a plane washed up, I feel like people would notice that. Yeah. So my theory, which is my favorite theory, is that um, she missed Gardner, which was where she was headed, uh, but she did land. Um I'm sorry, she missed Howland. That's where she was headed, but she did land. And there's a small island relatively nearby called Gardner Island. And nobody lived there. It was very, very small. So the thinking is she was such an excellent pilot that she probably could have landed the plane even if it wasn't where her original target was. Um, so she lands in Gardner, um, but unfortunately, doesn't have enough food and shelter. So she ends up passing away or dying on, gar- on uh, Gardner Island. Now, why do people think this? So there's a group called the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery. Um, and even though Amelia Earhart, that happened in 1937, they are still hard at work trying to find out items, parts of the plane, that type of thing. So they did an exposition in, on that island. And they found uh, two really interesting things. The first is they found a piece of plexiglass, similar to what was used in her plane, which was a Lockheed Electra. And then the thing that I love um, that they found on that island, again, not Howland, Gardner Island, they found an empty jar of Dr. Berry's freckle ointment. And that was something that was only sold in the U.S., And it was a face cream, which meant to, which was sort of, the purpose was to fade freckles. And Amelia Earhart was super self-conscious about her freckles. So she was often buying this face cream. Um, Someone uh, from that group said, we do know that Earhart had freckles, (laughs) and she was conscientious about them. This is one of several bottles that we've identified from the Castaway Campsite that seem to be, and in some cases are, very definitely personal care products that were marketed exclusively to women in the United States in the 1930s. And the crazy thing now is, like, obviously, there are a lot of products you can buy anywhere, right? You can buy kind of the same sodas whether you're in New Zealand or China or the U.S., but in 1937, it wasn't like that. Things were very specific to the region that you were in. So to find this freckle cream on a deserted island, I can't imagine anyone else who this, could, who this could be the owner of. Yeah, but I was
2: also thinking that could have washed up because I don't know um, if it said where it was on the island, but it could have just been on the beach and
1: um, high tide would have like come and washed it up near that campsite. Totally, totally. Um, the jar, when they found it, it was broken into five pieces. Um, and the fifth piece was near some bones from a turtle. So it was almost like someone was trying to use that as a tool to cut, you know, food, fish, or eels. Um, and again, uh, no one near that island or no no people from the, that area would have c- prepared food that way. So there's some pretty interesting evidence, and it's all based on something as, like kind of silly as freckle cream that could ultimately help figure out where Amelia Earhart landed.
3: I think I, I like this theory as well. Um, one thing that I like is that her last radio transmission saying that they're on one five seven course, which basically means kind of heading south southeast. Gardner is southeast of Howland. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I I still like to think I don't think she would have just landed in the ocean. I think they had they had excess fuel when they left New Guinea. So they had time to search around. And so I do see them landing. Maybe they didn't land on the island they wanted to, but I, I see her and Fred making an island. I agree. Finding that cream in the 1930s, pretty close to where she was heading on a, a product that she uses also. that To me, that's kind of a smoking gun. Of, of, that's her. The part that I don't get is they still haven't found the plane. The plane has to be there.
1: Right well and i think uh, i think what's interesting too is thinking about her like under pressure right like they can't find the island they need they know they have not much, they need to have enough fuel to get where they're going the thing is she was a woman who was calm under pressure like she loved being challenged she did all of these flights that no one thought she could do so I really don't see a scenario where she sort of just freaks out and ends up landing in the ocean I just truly believe that she would have kind of figured it out based on the fact she stayed cool under pressure she had a great head for kind of how she would navigate this and she was an excellent excellent pilot so perhaps I'm being nostalgic but I do like this theory that perhaps she was successful in landing and then unfortunately there was enough food in the island, where the island they were. Here's another. Here's another. She crash landed and
2: the Japanese took her and put her in prison on the island of Saipan.
1: Probably Saipan? Saipan. Yep. Yeah.
2: So investigators found this photo in the National Archives for a while. It might illustrate Earhart and her navigator's days after their disappearance. People think Earhart crash-landed in the Marshall Islands and was captured and died while she was in prison.
1: She was captured by the Japanese in this theory? Yes, Uh
2: she was captured by the Japanese military. Um, A retired federal agent looked through the archives for records related to Earhart's case and found a photo that shows a ship Pulling a barge with an airplane on the back, and there are several people on that dock that are n- that's near that boat. And that federal agent thinks that that boat, that plane, is the Canary, and the two people sitting there are Earhart and Noonan. But that might not be true. But he just believes that because there are many people there, and that could be one of them.
1: And that explains Dad's thing about the pa- plane was never found, right? That they have the plane, so they took the plane sort of somewhere else, so it would never have washed up on an island. Yes.
3: If you're if you're landing a plane on one of these small islands, I would think it's going to stand out. So that that does make sense that maybe it got transported. But then, if it did get transported, a lot of people would be involved in that. You need. If they, I don't know if they had cranes that could help do that, but you're going to need a lot of help getting the plane from to a barge and getting that to somewhere else, and then you're going to dump the plane somewhere else. So um, that is interesting. There was also another photo that came out recently. Um, I think it was her, a picture of what appeared to be um, Amelia and Fred conceivably sitting, on, I think, kind of on this pier with their back to the camera, uh, undated photo, but there's also speculation um, around another photo as well.
1: And then Todd's going to share with us, this is the silliest theory, I think, but could be. It's valid. There are a
3: lot of theories. So this is another one we threw in there for interesting discussion. I would put this more under the, the conspiracy theory bucket of ideas. Um, and I will say, I'm not a fan of this one. So basically, it goes along the lines of, she crashed, she survived. And she secretly repatriated back into the U.S. So maybe along the way she was taken prisoner by the Japanese. We know that there was a lot kind of going on in the Pacific Theater at that time. So there is some legitimacy to that. But the theory goes, and it was really put forth in this book that was written in 1970, that said she came back, she came to New Jersey, and she became took on the identity of this woman named Irene Bolum. I, I think that's how you, how you pronounce it, Bolum and she became a banker, and she basically lived this life in New Jersey. There was a woman, a female banker, in, named Irene Bolum in New Jersey, um, and she ended up getting involved with a lawsuit um, about this whole book, basically saying, I'm not Amelia Earhart. I think the big thing that jumps out to me of, of why I don't like this theory is it just seems so incongruous to her, to her personality. Like She was such an adventurous person. And I don't see an adventurous person suddenly deciding to go live in secret and become a banker <laughs> in New Jersey.
0: Also, if she loved flying, why would she just change it to be a banker? Like, she really liked flying, so why would she all, all of a sudden become a banker, not, like, fly another plane? I agree. Yeah, but say she crashed, how would she get
2: to New Jersey? Like, her plane is probably in pieces. And the Japanese would probably not let her take a plane and go live to New Jersey. But what's kind of surprising is how mad, well, I don't know how mad, but Irene Bullum became. Because (laughs) if someone said, I'm Amelia Earhart, I would just be like, "Um, okay. But um, I would not really go to a law thing and try to get them... I would say read the book, but
1: I'm not. It's so funny to me that it's, like, a real person. Because can you imagine the moment that she either, like, read in the newspaper her name for being Amelia Earhart? And if you're not Amelia, it just seems so crazy to me that they basically picked this woman and said it was her, even though the woman the whole time is like, I am not Amelia Earhart. Um, So I don't, I think maybe they thought, right, that, um, They had similarities in their past life. They kind of looked the same. But it seems like a really expensive lie to tell because I think she got like over a million dollars for her basically saying, this book is saying I'm someone I'm absolutely not. Like I had my own life. I had my own childhood. Like I am not this person. So it's just it's fascinating that um, I think the theories around Amelia range so much, right? They range from her plunging, sadly, into the water. They range from her landing and maybe living on an island for a couple of months. They ranged from her being captured to the Japanese and then this, which is that she's a banker in New Jersey. So we hope you inv- you've enjoyed this first podcast. Um, we decided to do this because our family um, loves telling stories, and we often end up sitting around the dinner table um, talking about different theories. Um, and we just want to say thank you. We did uh, a bit of research. Um, our sources include a lot of different websites. Uh, Wikipedia, as always, was sort of a primary source. You probably hear threads of that throughout. Um, but we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you listen to future episodes.
2: Um, email us at CornerpiecePodcast at gmail.com. And if you're the real Amelia Earhart, drop us a note and let us know.
3: Bye-bye. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.